Good morning, everyone. I'm so excited to get back into this series called Christ in You. One of the things that I love about the book of Colossians is that the Apostle Paul is so specific about how Christians will have pitfalls in their walks with Jesus. And the book is unapologetically direct about how to avoid those. I can't wait to talk about this more today. The focus of our series is primarily on the believer in Christ. But if you're wondering what this Christian faith is all about, and if it's for you, then you're going to find Jesus on every single page in the book of Colossians. And all about what Jesus did to make it possible for all people to enter into a relationship with the creator of the universe. I challenge you today and any day that you pick up the Bible to read it, not with the goal of finding out how to be good enough or knowledgeable enough, but to connect with Jesus. He is the only way for any of us to go to heaven. I don't know if you remember this, but for a while it was extremely popular for people to have bumper stickers on their cars that said, coexist. It was referring to all the different religions out there. And in theory, it sounds great. I think all of us really want to get along with people, right? Most of us do. But in practice, it's far more difficult. And in no small part, it's because of the claim that Jesus made in the Gospel of John, chapter 14, verse 6. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. Of course, we should all be peaceful and kind people, but Jesus' claim to be God and the way to eternal life can make it feel hard for others to want to coexist with those of us who hold to those claims of Jesus as if we are just extremely exclusive when that's not the heart of God at all. My name is Neil, and I'm one of the pastors here at The Edge. Today, we're continuing in this series called Christ in You, and our text for today is Colossians chapter 2, verses 6 through 15. It reads, And now, just as you accepted Christ Jesus as your Lord, you must continue to follow him. Let your roots grow down into him and let your lives be built on him. Then your faith will grow strong in the truth you were taught, and you will overflow with thankfulness. Don't let anyone capture you with empty philosophies and high-sounding nonsense that come from human thinking and from spiritual powers of this world, rather than from Christ. For in Christ lives all the fullness of God in a human body. So you also are complete through your union with Christ, who is head over every ruler and authority. When you came to Christ, you were circumcised, but not by a physical procedure. Christ performed a spiritual circumcision, the cutting away of your sinful nature. For you were buried with Christ when you were baptized, and with him you were raised to new life because you trusted the mighty power of God who raised Christ from the dead. You were dead because of your sins and because your sinful nature was not yet cut away. Then God made you alive with Christ, for he forgave all your sins. He canceled the record of the charges against us and took it away by nailing it to the cross. In this way, he disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities. He shamed them publicly by his victory over them on the cross. Let's pray, and then we're going to jump into this passage. Lord, 
I thank you that you are good and you are more than enough. Help us to stay in step with you. Help us not to in any way divert from your path and your plan. Help us let go of anything that would take your place in our hearts and lives. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. So what can we learn from these verses today? It's essential for us to begin with a quick overview of the situation that Paul was addressing. Paul was writing to a church that had started strong, but then it was being infiltrated by all of these false teachings. And sometimes people wonder, like, how important are these specific teachings? These teachings weren't slightly different from what we would be considered, from what we would consider to be orthodox teachings, but they were teachings that could actually utterly shipwreck the faith of the people that grabbed a hold of it. If we're honest and we look around today, we, we might have different iterations of the temptations that would draw us away from God um, than what existed 2,000 years ago, but there's little doubt in my mind that the same diabolical mastermind is behind the curtain attempting to pull strings on people in 2022, just like he did at the very start of time with humanity. We have the same weaknesses that we've always had because we are humans and we are frail and we are sinful. In light of that, here's the first idea that stands out to me from the passage. The Christian experience begins in a moment, but lasts for a lifetime. I'll say it again. The Christian experience begins in a moment, but lasts for a lifetime. At the end of almost every sermon that I preach, you'll notice that I share um, how anyone who doesn't yet know Jesus can enter into a saving relationship with him. Now, I do that because I don't want anyone who, who watches one of these sermons to be deceived into thinking that if they just start acting like they see Jesus acting, that that is what will save them. I don't want people to think that if they're just loving enough or feed the homeless enough times or care about a particular cause that Jesus may have even cared a lot about, that then that person will have secured a spot in heaven. It's simply not true. Let me be very, very clear. There is nothing that any person can do to secure a relationship to God. The story of the gospel of Jesus is that he came near to us. He made a way for us, not the other way around. But in my experience, so many people enter in and they accept Jesus and then often they stop. It's like they, they forgot that there's more steps. When hard times come, people tend to, to want to walk away or when their health fails or uh, when something happens and that, that sort of that what's in it for me flavor of the day doesn't turn out the way they expected. And that could be for so many reasons. The truth is some people were sold to Jesus that makes everything okay. In other words, like if you give your life to Jesus, then everything is going to be okay in your life. And it's just not true. Or if you give your life to Jesus, then he's going to make you rich and successful and healthy. Almost like Jesus is sort of this add-on to their lives. Like he, he's there to make their lives better. But the Bible paints an entirely different story about the whole point of Jesus. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 19 and 20, Paul writes this. He said, don't you realize that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? who lives in you and was given to you by God, 
You don't belong to yourself, for God bought you with a high price. So you must honor God with your body. Now, Jesus loved us not so that he could save us for eternity, but leave us functionally unchanged on earth. He saved us so that we could continue on in relationship with him. And the goal is for us to look more and more like Jesus every single day of our lives. In this passage, we see this expectation of God expressed through Paul, that it starts by God lighting this fire in us when we're saved. And then from that point on, we uh, partner with him and he will cause growth to take place in our, eye, in our lives as we continue on this journey with him. I don't believe that this passage is at all to threaten your salvation, but to help you live the fullest, most beautiful, God-honoring and people-loving life possible, the life that God always intended for you to live. Some of us are telling ourselves that God didn't hold up his end of the bargain when we have, when we have done nothing to stay connected to him. Let's make sure that in our spiritual lives that we are owning what's ours to own and we're not trying to blame shift like people always have done, like the first people did in the Garden of Eden. In the Gospel of John chapter 15, verses 5 through 7, Jesus said, Yes, I am the vine, you are the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Anyone who does not remain in me is thrown away like a useless branch and withers. Such branches are gathered into a pile to be burned. But if you remain in me and my words remain in you, you may ask anything from me and it will be granted. Now, some commentators do suggest that this passage is about losing your salvation, but I don't believe that because in the same passage, Jesus states, you, he's speaking to people that have crossed over from death to life. He said, you have already been pruned and purified by the message I have given you. So he's speaking to people that are solidly saved. They are in the faith. They are protected by the, the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. This passage is about continuing to walk with Jesus and the fruitfulness that that kind of life will bring. Walking with Jesus is expected after you are saved by him. If you are a Christian and you don't have the evidence of the life of God growing in you, some of you might be saying, well, what, what does that even mean? That sounds so ethereal. Well, no, it's, it's very specific because the evidence of the life of God growing in you can be found in Galatians chapter five. It's the fruit of the spirit. It's the evidence that you have the Holy Spirit living in you. And it's love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. I want to challenge you. Check to see how connected you are to the Lord in those areas. Are you reading the Bible for yourself? Or are you just waiting to hear a message from a pastor on a Sunday? Are you praying about more and more things in your lives? In, in your lives? Are you connected with other believers? Are you serving? Are you growing in, in generosity? It's usually not too terribly hard for me to look at my own life and know what I've stopped doing. And I'm sure that's the same for you. And this leads us to what Paul is warning us so strongly about, the reason that we need to stay connected to and rooted in faith in Jesus Christ. 
and it's our second point. You were made to worship and you will grow roots. You were made to worship and you will grow roots. In verse 8, Paul starts by saying, don't let anyone capture you with empty philosophies and high-sounding nonsense. I, I love, I, I just love how he says that. He's so specific. What, what he's really saying is there are a lot of people out there that say a whole lot of things and they say it in a way that sounds pretty, it sounds attractive, it sounds flowery, it sounds very wise, but it's really just, it's completely empty. Listen, the devil cannot steal your salvation. We don't want you to walk around wondering if somehow the devil's gonna sneak in and he's gonna steal your salvation. He can't do that. Romans 8, 38 and 39 gives us great security in Jesus. Paul says this, and I am convinced that nothing can separate us from God's love, neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither our fears for today nor our worries about tomorrow. Not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or in the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all of creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. But here's what he can do. The devil can make you miserable if you give yourself over to him and his ways after you have accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior. The church at Colossae was being inundated with all kinds of thinking and ideas that seemed to be wise. But Paul described them as empty and nonsense. We don't know what all of those very specific teachings were, but we know some of them and they can be summed up like this. You need Jesus plus. You need Jesus, that's true, but you also need a little extra. It's like, yeah, you've got the main dish, but you gotta make sure you have the side dishes too. One of the ideas that, that was infiltrating the church was that Jesus is good, but he didn't fully represent God. You can see how, how Paul was countering that in verse nine. There were also teachings that suggested that followers of Jesus weren't complete in Christ. You can see verse 10 was countering that idea. The gist was Jesus is good, but you need more and you need to do more to be good with God and to live complete lives. We've always been tempted to believe that we need more. We've always been tempted to believe that we need to do more or that there is more apart from God's plan for us. But here's the truth. If we go down those paths as Christians, we will grow roots and we will produce fruit. It just won't be the fruit that the God of the Bible wants for us. Do not be deceived. You, we, you will worship and you will grow roots somewhere. But only roots that are in Jesus bear eternal fruit and the deep and satisfying life that you were always meant to live. The kind of life that Jesus talked about in John chapter 10, verse 10. He said, the thief's purpose, speaking of the devil, is to steal and kill and destroy. My purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. These are very different ways that we can go and our faith walk with Jesus. And here's our final point today. Stop being an imposter. That sounds really harsh, but it's meant to be an encouragement. You'll see why. Some of you are followers of Jesus, but you're acting like you aren't. Not coming down on anyone. I certainly have moments just like that. 
You're not openly walking away from Jesus, but you're walking out of faith that is Jesus-ish with some human ideals and demonic inspiration sprinkled in. And there is no good fruit that will come from that way of believing and living. Paul closes this part of the passage by reminding the church what their authentic faith looks like. And he says, Christ cut away your sinful nature. Okay, that's, that's, it started with Jesus. He cut away your sinful nature. Your old life was buried in baptism. And then you were raised to new life because you trusted God. You were dead in your sins, but then God made you alive by forgiving all of your sins, by nailing them to the cross when Jesus died. It was then that God disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities. So here's the question. Why would any of us go back to slavery again? We were saved from something by God, only by God. Nothing of what we could do for ourselves or, or nothing that we can add to the salvation. Like he completely saved us. Why would we go back to slavery again? Just days ago, we celebrated Juneteenth. It's a day of, of commemorating the, the Freedom Day for the slaves in the United States. No one with any good sense would ever willingly go back to slavery once they'd been freed. But we often go back to willful slavery because we fall for things that look good and they sound spiritual. Things that are based on the merit system of life. It's because we see it everywhere we look. In school, we see it in our workplaces. But that's not the way it is with God. With God, it's solely based on his goodness. So don't add anything to him. It's Jesus plus nothing. It's not who... It's not who you are if you've been reconciled to God. If you've been reconciled to God, you have been reconciled to God solely based on the work of Jesus. Nothing that you can add will make it better. It will only make it worse. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 16 and 17, it says, So we have stopped evaluating others from a human point of view. At one time, we thought of Christ merely from a human point of view, how differently we know him now. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. A new life has begun. Listen, quit being an imposter. You are not dead in your sins. You don't have to act like you are. Where do you see yourself in this story? If you're a follower of Jesus, maybe you're recognizing that you've gotten derailed in your spiritual journey, that you have started to add things to your faith and you're, you're, you're feeling kind of puffed up in this idea that these things that you've added make you a super Christian or you're more faithful than others. Listen, it's, it's, nothing, it's nothing but sin to add anything to the cross of Jesus Christ. 1 John chapter 1, verses 8 and 9, it says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If you've, had any, if you've added anything to your faith, I want to encourage you, just confess that to the Lord today. Do it today. Add nothing to your faith. Biblical saving faith is this formula, Jesus plus nothing else. Maybe today you recognize that you're not a Christian and you want to follow the real Jesus. You don't want to um, settle for some man-made version of Jesus. Paul tells us the essentials of the faith, and it's the whole of the story of Jesus and nothing more. 
1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 3 and 4, it says, I passed on to you what was most important and what also had been passed on to me. Christ died for our sins. He was buried and he was raised from the dead on the third day, just as the scriptures said. That's the story. On a Sunday in 1865, while sitting in a choir loft, Elvina Hall's mind wandered while the pastor prayed. She began to think of our need for salvation and the price that Jesus paid for it. She scribbled these words down on the back of her hymn book as they came to her. Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. Acts chapter 4, verse 12, it says, There is salvation in no one else. God has given no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. In Acts chapter 2, Peter preached a sermon that we're told pierced the hearts of many. And in verse 37, we get the response from a whole bunch of these people. They said, brothers, what should we do? In other words, wow, you got me. I've gone on the wrong path. What am I supposed to do with all of this? And in verse 38, Peter replied to him, and his response 2,000 years ago is the same response that he would give today. Each of you must repent of your sins and turn to God and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Then you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Repent, turn to God, be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. No one goes to, the, no one goes to heaven without receiving the Holy Spirit. Reach out to me if you would like to take that next step or if you have any questions about it. In just a minute, we're going to close with worship. But before we do that, we have some questions for you to consider in your house churches or wherever you'll gather this week. First question is this. What is God highlighting for you in this message? The second question is, what do you um, see most often being added to the Christian faith where you live? So what do you see most often being added to the Christian faith? Jesus plus what? What do you see most often where you are? And finally, do you struggle more with imposter syndrome in your faith or being an imposter? as I shared in the last point of the sermon. If you're brave enough, share how and why. God bless you, and we'll see you next week.